Hey, and welcome to Rewatch. My name is Seth Scruggs. Uh, this is the show about movies we love and movies we haven't seen yet. Each week, uh, myself or my co-host, Zach Vaughn. Hello. Uh, who is actually sitting across the table from me today. Uh, we pick one of our favorite movies or just a movie that we've seen before. Not always our favorite movie. And we talk that one of us has seen, but the other hasn't. And we talk about it. One of these days, I'm going to get good at doing mm. this intro. Yeah. This week, I mean, fun. This week, we're talking about Marriage Story, which is a 2019 film starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, along with Ray Liotta and Laura Dern. It was written and directed by Noah Baumbach, which I probably just totally butchered his name. Baumbach, I think. I don't know. I, I like the sound of Baumbach, though. Baumbach. It's a, gr- it's a good name. Either way, it's a good name. Uh. Yeah, so it's essentially a story about a couple going through a divorce and how they're, they love each other through that. Yeah. So, I had seen this one before. Zach, you hadn't. Tell me about it. So, first of all, my favorite scene is, well, my favorite like little bit mm-hmm. is very close to the beginning. Um, it's when they're talking about when they're reading the letters to each yeah, other. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about how kind, you know, how, how economical Adam Driver is <laughs> and how, and the, the, the scene, or I guess the shot was him turning off the light, even though she's still in there reading. And I could just, I could just, it was so real because it was the, Hey, I'm still in here. Sorry. <laughs> like, because that's happened. That has happened to every family at least once. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it was funny. My uh, my fiance was watching it with me, and she was like, "You know, I realized there's some people who just don't turn out lights when they leave a room," and that confused me, <laughs> and it confused me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's great. I think that might be like the film as a whole is very good, and there's a lot in the movie that I love. Um, but I genuinely just that opening sequence, I think is just such a great way to start a film because you immediately know your two main characters Mm -hmm. with no real other introduction. And they do it in a way that tells you about the main characters, but in a way that's still engaging and interesting. And they're showing you along with telling you and it, Mm -hmm. it works, I think. And it's. It's it gives you a holistic view of the characters because it's showing you all of the positives of the characters right at the beginning. And then the movie goes on to show you all of the all of the really horrible qualities they have. (laughs) Yeah, it makes me like was Noah Baumbach writing and like, you know, both these characters are really horrible people. Probably should say like why they fell in love in the first place. Yeah. I think it, I think it was really good. It made me look forward to not having a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that was kind of my main takeaway from the film. Uh, was that? Um, let's jump into the performances because we talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. before we got on here. Yeah. Um, you did not like Scarlett Johansson's performance. I didn't hate it. I was disappointed. 
Um, it's, you aren't mad. You're just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> the thing is, like, Scarlett Johansson is such a great actress mm-hmm. that I was expecting, I don't know, like, everybody else killed it. And I think, I don't know, it just, it didn't feel like she was on the same level as everybody else. Like, Adam Driver, oh, man. Um, There's something about like, seeing a really large, grown man just, like, openly weeping that just pulls at the uh, heartstrings a little bit. I had to pause it uh, when my roommate came back and I was like, you need to see the height difference between these two people. <laughs> he was like, wow. It's major. Yeah. There, there is, there's a large difference between the two of them. Which is cool because most movies just pick pretty people and they're probably going to have them reasonably the same height. Well, they'll they'll fake that they're reasonably the same. Yeah. So and this didn't this fake is that. this is a yeah. total side story. Yeah. Um, Paramount Studios has your brother worked there, mm-hmm. um, so he may have told you this, but they have uh, one part of the lot has two doors, and they call them the Kidman and Cruise doors because Tom Cruise is a very short man, <laughs> but and and Nicole Kidman is a very tall woman, so what they do is they. Uh, pair them off so that he comes out of the door that's the cruise door and she comes out of the Kidman door so that they look roughly the same height. That's awesome. <laughs> it's great. The, the Totally tangential to this conversation, but mm-hmm. continue. Um, but yeah, I just I just thought hers wasn't as, her performance wasn't as fantastic mm-hmm. as all the others. Um, yeah. Maybe it's because I haven't seen her in a mom role ever and so she seems more like the uh like single stoic i'm not gonna like very self-sufficient not nurturing Mm -hmm. not caring because most of what i've seen her is like black widow Mm -hmm. um and it just i don't know i didn't maybe it's my idea of scarlett johansson that made it hard I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem as believable as any of the other people. I could see that. Um, so I weirdly, accidentally went on a little bit of a Scarlett Johansson binge um, that this movie was a part of, where I watched Winter Soldier, so that Black Widow stoic role, and then also watched We Bought a Zoo, where she plays kind of that character, but really it's a different character. Um, she plays. Um, kind of the stoic character who warms up by the end of the film essentially uh so and then this film where she kind of does that in reverse where she gets more stoic and a little bit harder as the film goes on um i i thought that she was pretty i i liked her performance in this film um i i get the kind of argument that maybe it wasn't as strong as certain other ones um but i think overall her performance it's it's hard to tell because I think that her performance has more ups and downs than say like Laura Derns or Ray Liotta's or Alan Alda's, mm-hmm. but they're also in the film for shorter amounts of time. So it's easy, like Laura Dern has some great moments in this film and I love Laura Dern. Um, I love Laura Dern, end of story there. But she, and she has some great moments in the film, but really she doesn't need any more than those great moments because she's in three, four scenes. Mm-hmm. And she's great in those three or four scenes. But do we really need more of her in the film? 
And if she was in more of the film, would her performance not be as good in other moments? Right. So I think Scarlett Johansson definitely has more ups and downs. I think the same could be said for Adam Driver. Yes. Um, I think he has more ups and downs as well. Uh, but I think it rounds all the characters more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about just the style of the film. So acting, pretty good across the board. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the style of the film I thought was pretty interesting. Um, on a technical level, the aspect ratio is interesting um, because it's not a true widescreen. Right. Um, it's got the ever so slightly the smallest black bars on the sides. Um, I'm not sure what the aspect ratio is. Zach is currently Googling it for us so that he can tell us. Uh, I'm all about aspect ratios. <laughs> If, if you want to know about aspect ratios, then Zachary Vaughn is indeed your man. Uh, all that said, it's an interesting aspect ratio. The colors are very interesting. I think it was shot on film. It has the look of film. It definitely looked like film. Um, which I was having a conversation with uh, my mom the other day because she doesn't under, she was asking me like what the difference is, like why, why you would shoot on film rather than digital. Um, and so if anyone else is wondering that, basically you might choose film for a couple of reasons. Um, most of the time now you're choosing film because it's a look. In the past, film was the only option, but now you have digital and you can do different things with digital. And a lot of people will even take digital and make it look like film because there is a certain quality to film in how it looks. And sometimes you choose it because you like the color better. Sometimes you choose it because you're a snob. Other times you choose it because you're trying to evoke a certain feeling. And so the example I talked about with my mom was Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which came out fairly recently. It was shot on film. And so my mom asked me, did I like, because I told her that it was shot on film. Did I like the new version of Little Women because it was shot on film? or because I liked the story. And my answer was, I don't necessarily see a difference between the two. Because odds are, if someone chose to shoot a movie on film, they that is a part of the story they are trying to tell and a part of how they're trying to make their audience feel. Mm-hmm. So Noah Baumbach knew, I want this to feel nostalgic. I want this to feel a certain way. And that's why Randy Newman did the score. That's why the characters acted like they did. And I think it's why you shoot on film with a certain type of grain and a certain type of color. Mm -hmm. And at a certain aspect ratio. Which is? 166.1. Interesting. That's a... It's not a normal one. It's uh, slang is European widescreen. Mm -hmm. Um, But one cool thing is it's what Kubrick shot him. Okay. So. so again, I think what this movie does a lot of, and with the Randy Newman score, um, what it, which is very classic jazz, mm-hmm. um, you're kind of, it makes you feel nostalgic. Yeah. Um, and then add into that the sunlight and the oranges that are kind of there, which kind of evoke a very warm memory feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for me, maybe maybe it didn't for you as much. No, yeah, I, I got that too. Um, my, you know, I 
it does kind of feel a little bit like when Harry met Sally in a sense. I think um, stylistically, stylistically, um, the way the dialogue is used, mm-hmm. the um, obviously not story, right? And, and and that's kind of what I'm getting at is there's a feel to Marriage Story. You you strip away the story, you you don't necessarily have to know what it's saying, but if you watched it with just the score, you would feel a certain way, probably. Mm-hmm. I would assume. Yeah. And I think that it is reminiscent of, weirdly, like these Nora Ephron movies, which had very big band jazz scores and uh, certain looks and certain ways of telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you? What do you think about that? Like, as far as like a look and a feel, also being the story, that makes sense. Yeah, um, it definitely felt like recent past mm-hmm. um i say recent past like late 2000s yeah um and i don't know if it's specifically supposed to take place during that time um they mentioned some pieces of technology in it i can't really remember yeah um but it definitely it definitely feels um it feels reminiscent and um, because I mean, the, the whole thing is about the past breaking apart. Yeah. Because it's their past relationship. Like, it's drudging up, trying to figuring out what actually happened in the past for us, mm-hmm. figuring out what actually happened. Because they say one thing, but. The other says they don't actually mean that, but they're not actually denying that they don't mean that. And so it's really confusing. Like, yeah. are they, do they actually believe this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of that is because of the, the warm color palette. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily, because there's a character who talks about 2013. So it's yes. fairly recent. Yeah. And I don't think that it's necessarily about trying to actually take place in the past i just feel like there's a certain he's trying to make it feel Mm -hmm. um that way and i think that it lends itself to the story and lends itself to kind of where the story takes us Mm -hmm. as viewers um i want to talk about so there was a scene from this movie that kind of floated around twitter for a while um back in december right after it came out Basically, there's a 10-minute climactic argument between Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. 10 minutes. And something about Noah Baumbach and the way that he works is that he totally, like, by the book. He wrote the script. That's the script. That's what that's what he wants to tell. So that's what we're going to do, um, which is certainly a way to work. Um, and he, so everything is by the book, and they have this 10-minute extremely choreographed argument scene Mm -hmm. um but lots of people pointed out that they didn't think the acting was very good in that scene so i'm curious about your thoughts this is like the big fight when adam punches a hole in the wall yeah yeah, yeah. i agree you don't think the acting was very good it's not the best that the acting was really um 
I get that it would be very, that kind of conversation at that point is going to be very tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in real life, it's you're not going to yep. be using subtext there. You're going yeah, to yeah. like, the only subtext is you are ruining my life. I hate that. Yeah. But also you're going to say that. Like yeah. the, all of the subtext is going to come out because it's so guttural everything that's happening because everything's just been building up and so you can't even come up with words other than what it actually is <laughs> so like there's there's the the i i want to say it it's not as good as it could be because it's there's not a whole lot of subtext in it mm-hmm. but also like it's what it would be yeah um so i don't know i don't know i'm torn between like uh, could they have done more subtext or written it differently? Yeah. But also, like, I don't know, like, it's, it was very screamy. And, like, oftentimes screaming is hard to do well. Yeah. Like, because a lot of times you, you scream instead of emoting. Mm-hmm. And, like, I say you, like low low like getting into acting you will often compensate for not actually being angry by screaming yeah or not actually being able to project Mm -hmm. an emotion of anger or something by screaming um and it almost felt like that Mm -hmm. like okay we need to escalate this okay let's have them scream Mm -hmm. um but again like i don't know like because screaming makes sense there yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, I disagree. I think it was a, I think it was acted well. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, is if you pull from, if you pull this scene out of the film and you just watch the last two minutes where Adam Driver is yelling really loudly and they're kind of yelling at each other, you miss, like one of the arguments I saw was they, they pulled a scene from Fences where I think it's, I think it's Viola Davis is gut-wrenching but she and she's angry but she does it calm and quietly and they're like well i felt this i didn't feel adam driver well you know and well this is out of context and adam driver's is out of context you know but i i felt this one but not this one and and i don't think that's totally fair because you're watching the culmination of 10 minutes of arguing Mm -hmm. of 10 minutes of not communicating so no, it starts quiet. The scene starts quiet and ramps up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it works. I think that if they immediately just jumped into, we're going to yell at each other, it doesn't. Right. But the fact that it starts quiet, it starts friendly mm-hmm. even. And it builds and builds and builds. And visually they do things like walking to other sides of this wall. So visually they are actually separated mm-hmm. down to the texture on the floor. I, I think that's impactful. And the fact that it actually builds from quiet, subtle things to fine. We'll just say it like it is. I I think you were right in what you're saying where it's like, yeah, subtext is good. But we don't always speak in subtext. Mm -hmm. If I'm mad at someone and I'm angry and a lot of times, I don't, maybe this is too personal, (laughs) but when I'm 
angry about something, a lot of times I'm not angry about the thing that I'm angry about. I'm angry about something else. Mm -hmm. And as I'm like arguing with whoever I'm arguing with, what I'm actually angry about will come out. Right. Which is a very real thing, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what happens in this thing, in this fight where they're, I'm the one with best friendry, I'm the one with best friendry. But really what it comes down to is you're just great on my nerves now. And I just, I can't be around you. And if I could just guarantee that he'd be fine, then you could go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think I think that's why the scene works, is it moves from, we're talking about Henry, and we want we want what's best for Henry, to how am I actually feeling about this? Wait a second, I'm actually really ticked off at you. Yeah. I think it's cool how uh, there's obviously multiple ways to direct a movie. Um, yeah. Especially one that you yourself wrote. Um, but taking a note from a different masterclass, not Aaron Sorkin this time. Oh, man. Um, uh, Judd Apatow, the way he directs, um, obviously comedy is very different from marriage mm-hmm. story. Um, but he will often like collaborate with the actors up until the last minute, and then they shoot it. Um, and they shoot it by the script. Um, and then he'll make notes and they'll do it like a dozen times or more total where the first several, they did it by the script and then he gives them notes to change things. And then eventually he's just like, go for it. Um, so like, I think it's very interesting. The, the polar opposite, which I guess, um, drama is very different from comedy in that aspect. Cause like yeah. most improv shows you go to are improv comedy shows. They're not improv drama shows because nobody wants to go to a place where people just gripe. <laughs> like if you go to a drama, it's going to be either boring or just really, really weirdly depressing. Yeah. Drama doesn't lend itself to five, five minute skits. Mm-hmm. It's much more, you have to develop it over time. Yeah. And it's not as good spontaneous no. because you can think of something unexpected off the cuff and it's funny not always but it can it's more likely to be funny than actually dramatic yeah um but i do think it's cool um how scripted and planned everything is with noah baumbach because there are like hesitations and like stutters Mm -hmm. that are planned like I was reading about it and like every like pause, every hesitation was planned and intentional and practiced. Uh, yeah. And I think that's just incredible. It's interesting because so a lot of filmmakers are very are known for being detail oriented. Um, people like Bong Joon-ho, where Bong Joon-ho comes in and when he directs a film, he every frame. He knows what every frame is going to look like. Um, Hitchcock, Kubrick, like the big names that we talk about is like the masters of cinema are people that we look at and they say the auteur theory, you know, for a lot of people, if um, very briefly, the idea of the auteur theory is that the director is the author of the film. They are in control of everything. I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to that, but that's that's what it is. Um, so people who referred, who saw themselves as auteurs and were referred to as auteurs like Hitchcock, like Kubrick, 
they knew what every frame was. They knew what every movement, they knew all of that. But a lot of times that resulted in very polished films. I would say most of Hitchcock's films are very polished, Mm -hmm. very straight to the point direct. Um, Parasite, we've talked about it on here before, is a very polished and direct film. Um, Very well directed as well. Um, Obviously, one best director. Um, Marriage Story doesn't feel polished. It doesn't, most of Bombach's work, um, I don't know, have you seen any of his other films? Francis Ha. Mm-hmm, Francis um, Ha. It's the only one I know of off the top of my head. He, he also did a movie called Squid and the Whale, um, which watching Marriage Story and Squid and the Whale back to back is a very interesting double feature. Um, I don't know if I necessarily recommend Squid and the Whale as much as I recommend um, Marriage Story, but that's there they're both films about divorce um both kind of bombach reflecting on divorces in his life um with squid and the whale being his parents divorce and marriage story being his own um which is a very interesting way to look at these films um and i could go on much further than that but a lot of bombach's work like francis ha even it doesn't feel polished but it it is very intentional um, and so the characters feel very natural. They feel very at home. They feel very lived in. And it never feels like they're hitting marks. Right. Even, um, so there's another like seven minute scene where essentially uh, Scarlett Johansson just goes through everything that she was mad about in her relationship with Charlie. Uh Nicole just rants Mm -hmm. for a while and she's crying and she gets up and she eats and she walks around, but it never really feels like she's hitting marks. Right. It doesn't feel like she's like, now I will get up and go. It feels like, you know, if you're a person naturally, if you're, if we are, if we were having a conversation, not around this microphone right here, we would just get up and walk around. Um, we did it earlier. We were, we were working on some stuff earlier and we just walked around mm-hmm. because it's, it's what we do when we talk because we've known each other for a while. So that's how people do things. It's how people interact. And it feels more real because of that rather than just feeling like there are any marks. Yeah. I think the climactic fight scene as well, you know, they, they did that in, I say fight scene and it's like, it feels like I'm talking about like an action yeah. set piece, but it's, it's no, they're just arguing. Um, I I want to say I saw something where Bumbuck talked about it. I want to say they they did that in three days. It took three days to really cover that and do it because it's emotionally hard on the actors, and then mm-hmm. also there's just a lot of shots and a lot to get yeah. down. But it is extremely choreographed, mm-hmm. you know, it, because there's certain shots that they want to get. So there's a shot where um, essentially the room is divided in two, and they're talking, but they're really speaking through this wall. And it's a very physical manifestation of them not being able to communicate, um, which is an important cinematography thing uh, for anyone out there who's interested in that. Do those kinds of things. It's cool. Um, but they, that was planned and on purpose. So they had to nail all of these things, but it never feels like we're hitting marks. Right. Um, we're hitting things that we need to hit. So I think that was I think that was um, really really cool, mm-hmm. and I think it's an achievement by the director, but also by the actors. Yeah, you know, 
and speaking of that you know there's a this movie ends ish just right before the ending with adam driver singing a steven sondheim song Mm -hmm. but it doesn't i didn't think it felt forced no I, I i loved it i also saw a trivia thing about it how um it was done in one take mm-hmm. live yeah and that's just incredible yeah well and what i like about that scene is that there are a lot of things i like about that scene um you know number one i think that it and bombach talked about this it does exactly what musicals do where you can't really your character can't talk about how they're feeling so they'll sing about how they're feeling and they picked a perfect song for what he's feeling in that moment Mm -hmm. but then on top of that he doesn't there are notes that he doesn't hit yeah right and that's awesome and it's great because it would have been easy to re-record that Mm -hmm. you know adam driver went to juilliard i'm i'm sure he can really sing Mm -hmm. um at least somewhat at least carry you know he can obviously carry a tune he he does well in this but like he probably could have gone back and really nailed the Mm -hmm. performance here and he didn't and i think you know that adds so much to the moment to the character because he's not a guy singing he's a dude hanging out in a bar with his friends Mm -hmm. um yeah i i thought that was this great i was i was very curious about your thoughts for that i loved that part because of how raw it was like it was i don't know it was just really it was really cool especially because i i saw the trivia thing before i watched it Mm -hmm. um so i knew that was coming and then when it happened i was even more impressed because of how natural it felt and how good a singer that in one take like if i couldn't do that in a thousand (laughs) plus takes yeah um it's also just like another thing that adam driver can do mm-hmm. because why not yeah why, why not um adam driver is like my favorite celebrity i don't know if i've told you this i've gathered <laughs> well i just he doesn't want to be famous yeah he wants to act mm-hmm. and which is so cool we're gonna go on a really long adam driver tangent i can feel it <laughs> um like he was a marine yep and then when he got back he was like what do i want to do i want to act yep that's what i want to do after being a marine and he goes to freaking juilliard and and that's but that's all he wants to do is he just wants to act mm-hmm. what I, I may have told you about this but one of my favorite interviews with him he's the writer describes him as like in a bar like in a coffee shop with like his hood up like just hoping no one talks to him mm. because he but but then he chooses like Star Wars, mm-hmm. and it's like, dude, you kind of did it to yourself. Yeah. So I love it. I love. Mm-hmm. I love him as a like personality, and I love him in this movie, and I love him in every movie I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, at least, I I you know I think he's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I want to touch briefly on some of the side characters that we haven't really talked about. Oh, yeah. Very much because there's some huge names in mm-hmm. this film. That have very small roles that have great moments. So we we obviously we talked about Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. I love her. Do you have anything to add about Laura Dern? I hated the character. Oh, same. Because I was supposed to. 
But boy, did I hate the character. <laughs> uh, Alan Alda, who is a personal favorite of both of us. Oh, yes. I, oh, Alan Alda. I didn't... I'm not quite sure if I'm glad you didn't tell me because I got the surprise or if I was mad like... You mean Alan Alda was in this and you didn't, like, I would have probably, we probably wouldn't be doing it for a rewatch if I had known Alan Alda was in it. I probably would have seen it already. Um, He's great in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, He's absolutely wonderful. Um, Something about, like, I didn't necessarily, you grew up with MASH. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily grow up with MASH. Um, Though I did see Alan Alda in things and I did, I had a consciousness of what MASH was. Um... And so there's no real reason for me to like Alan Alda as much as I do, other than the fact that he is the best part of season seven of The West Wing, um, which is otherwise a whole thing in and of itself. Um, but uh, if you, I was going to say, we almost did a podcast where we talked about The West Wing when we were coming up with Rewatch, and then we remembered that The West Wing Weekly does exist, and so we decided not to. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, Alan Alda is fantastic in that. He's just a wonderful presence to see Mm -hmm. on screen. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything. It's hard not to fall in love with Alan Alda like he's your grandpa. (laughs) Even if you haven't seen him in anything before. Yeah. Like, especially now, like, obviously not in MASH time because he wouldn't have been your grandpa then. Um, but like, the, the way, like, the way he is in everything now it's like i want this man to be my grandpa yep like i want this man to just give me a hug and take me to go to go get ice cream um and like i i want i want this man to come home for family dinner like i i would love to meet alan alda like there there are several i say several there are a few celebrities that i just really 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 want to actually meet um you know, Alan Alda is definitely on that list. Yep. Uh, Ray Liotta is in this film as well. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not super familiar with Ray Liotta's career. So it wasn't like a big thing, but I was like, oh, he's in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't dislike him. I, I, I don't want to make it seem like that. But it, but it was like, I don't really have a consciousness of who he is and how he lives and what his work yeah. is. So it was hard to really compare it to anything else. Uh, Wallace Shawn um, is a definite must to mention. Mm-hmm. We are both huge fans of The Princess Bride. I think we've talked about it more than any other movie on this podcast we have talked about The Princess Bride. We've talked Bride. about it almost as much as we've talked about Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. I, th- I think between The West Wing and The Princess Bride, like that, that's that's what, that's this podcast. That's the, yeah. the alternate name for this podcast. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the next one. <laughs> this is Rewatch, a podcast about The Princess Bride and The West Wing and then some other things that we've seen. Finding uh, The Princess Bride and West Wing <laughs> in. Um, yes. So he's just, I mean, he's, he's well as Sean. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about that. He is fantastic um the scene where he's in the hallway with adam driver and he's like well for my love scene and he goes what love scene the one where i hug beth you don't hug beth well i think we should explore it it's just i think that's so great he's the perfect he's the perfect um he won an oscar or he won a tony award 
But that's it. Yep. And he hasn't done anything good since character. And and there's not a whole lot of reason that he's there. Mm-mm. Like the I've been trying to think about it. Like why is he there? Well, Wallachon called and said he wanted a job. I guess. Like well, I like I like that he's the the super enthusiastic mm-hmm. washed up old actor. Yeah. Um, the desperately enthusiastic old actor. Um, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> That's, that's him. That's fair. Um, but also, like, he's he's kind of funny looking, mm-hmm. and, like, he's got a very distinct, very noticeable voice. And it's like, this guy is in theater. <laughs> there, This guy is in a small theater company. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. That's good. I know I, I appreciated that Ted from Brooklyn Nine Nine is in this. <laughs> I forgot he was in this. Yeah, as a Ted. Oh man, I didn't even connect that. I forgot that his name was Ted on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh man, that, or that is maybe funny. it's Teddy. Either way, yeah, either yeah, way, yeah. close enough. Close enough. Close um, enough. Um, man, I can't remember the name of the actress, but the the one who plays Nicole's mom. Which I cannot remember her name. Yeah. But she was absolutely fantastic. And Cassie. (laughs) From the first scene, I was like, oh, Cassie is one of my favorite characters. Because she was, it was just so, so real. Like, all of of her like, oh, wait, but I don't want to. Okay, maybe you should just, no, you can't do it. The, the whole lead up to serving him. And then when she finally just goes, you've been served mm-hmm. is just her delivery of that line is absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Julie Haggerty played Sandra, who is Nicole's mother. Okay. Um, she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the just her relationship going back to just like everything feels so natural in the film. Her relationship with Nicole is just great. Um, and I, I love it because I it, it really does feel like a mother-daughter relationship. And it feels very natural and very real. Um, yeah, I, I love it. So one scene that hurt to watch, because not, not so much hurt me, but like hurt for them, mm-hmm. for uh, Charlie and Nicole to watch, was when they were initially meeting together with both of their lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they're uh, Alan Alda and Lauren Dur- and Laura Dern are just going at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, lunch. Yep. And it's oh yeah, I love this place. You'll love it. What do you want? Uh, I thought the place. I thought they asked if he liked mayonnaise at first, <laughs> and then I realized oh mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Um, but like the the distinct change. That mm-hmm. everybody was ready for, except the two people who it affects. Yeah. Well, because it's their entire, like, life is on the line here. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that they are, do, have done, like, everything is changing. But for the other people, it's just a payday. Yeah. It's just... It's just another day at work. It's just another day at work. So it feels... It's jarring, but it's also just how it is. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's so personal to Charlie and Nicole, but it's... Mm-hmm. It's not personal. It's like they're yeah. 
just shooting the breeze. Well, and you don't even realize that the paralegal's there. Like, mm-hmm. you don't see him other than just, like, he's, like, in the background. You're like, yeah. oh, he's just an extra. And he's like, actually, wait, we know he's a very important part of the scene. And they do a very similar thing in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Where all of the dirty laundry is being exposed and they're they're yelling at each other and it feels personal. Like, they're the only ones in the room. And the camera turns around and, oh, we're just in, like, general court. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just a wide open session. Yeah. We're... Everyone is watching this happen. Mm-hmm. And it's so public and it's so in front of everyone. I think that's the reveal of that to see not only the judge, but the whole courtroom mm-hmm. that's full. Yeah. Is incredibly impactful and really exposes the kind of personal slash public nature of something like this, where it's mm-hmm. like we're severing this tie is so hard and difficult um and you know it makes you wonder like at some point where they like maybe this isn't worth it maybe i just stay with this person who's driving me nuts because this isn't worth it to try to go through all of this so do you have any kind of final wrapping up thoughts i mean i didn't know just how expensive divorce was like, obviously, without lawyers, it's less expensive. But, like, with, like, oh, my gosh. If oh, that's yeah. not motivation enough to not get divorced. <laughs> um, surely having an actually good relationship is better reason. <laughs> um, but, like, wow, yeah. Like, that that knocked the wind out of me almost. And I was like, oh, yeah. wait, they're, how much? Um, but that's completely unrelated to, like, the actual... Uh, meaning of the movie um i i told you this uh after i watched it that it left me with the exact opposite feeling that when harry (laughs) met sally left me with which was just a sense of loss Mm -hmm. um like i i finished it and i was like i need a happy place I need something, I need, I need a, a bright light to cheer me up before I go to bed. Um, like it's, it's an amazing movie. Mm. Um, but like, man, it hurts. <laughs> um, and like, there's, there's some background stuff that, mm-hmm. that made it a little bit more painful specifically, mm-hmm. but like. It was just, it was just so almost emotionally draining mm-hmm. to watch in the best way. Yeah. It, yeah, I think it does something that good art as a whole does and good movies, I think, especially do um, where it exposes it, it has the ability to like expose things um, that you're feeling that maybe you didn't realize you were feeling work through them in like a cathartic way. But then also it can emotionally drain you, but at the same time be good, refreshing and entertaining, um, which is not something easy to do by any means, but it definitely, I mean, it just, it allows you to feel through someone else um 
And I, I think this movie especially is an example of that. At the end, you may feel emotionally drained, but at the same time, you you've, feel like you've experienced something and it, it was worthwhile. Um, I, you know, I think this is a movie if you paid to go see it in a theater and you left, like at the end, you're not going to feel like it was a waste. It was like, okay, I had an experience with this movie and it was good. So, Zach, would you rewatch this movie? Yes. Yeah. That was a very quick and yes. resounding. Yeah. Would what would you rate it? I think I'm just gonna start going with what I put on Letterbox for it, just as a That's default. What I do. It's easy. That's what I do. Yeah. Um so I'm pretty sure I gave this either a I think I gave it a four and a half. Yeah. Um I might have given it a five. I can't remember. I can double check. <laughs> I I would rewatch this. I think this was my third time watching this. Only totally on accident. Um, I was actually... So I guess we should acknowledge this because we were going to talk about Won't You Be My Neighbor this week, but it was not available online uh, to rent. So we did this instead. I was going to hold out because I'd seen this recently, but I wanted to see it again anyway. So I gave it a five. You, I gave it a five. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, I think it's a five-star film. It just, it makes you feel, it's entertaining, it's emotionally connecting, it's beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and it's just, it's good. It's just good, man. Yeah. Um, I put it in the same category as Lady Bird for me. Okay. Which is high praise. And maybe, you know, maybe I won't in years to come, maybe, there, maybe you know, as I change, but right now it's up there for me as a, as a great film. Um. Yeah. Well, do you have anything to recommend for this week? My recommendation for this week, um, it's different, um, but still court-related. Um, it's uh, A Few Good Men, directed by Rob Reiner and written by the great Aaron Sorkin. Um, one of these days we're going to do an Aaron Sorkin movie on this podcast. I don't know when it'll be, yeah. but one day we'll get there. Yeah. Um, um, it's about a Navy court case um, without going into too much detail. That's basically what it is. It's yeah. a Navy court case. It's a hot-headed Tom Cruise Navy lawyer defending two Navy young privates. Lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Nicholson as well. Um, really, Kiefer Sutherland is in there. It's a, it's a good good group. So, Jennifer Connelly. Ah. My recommendation for this week is Won't You Be My Neighbor. Um, it is a great film. I was able to watch it uh, through HBO. Um, so I highly recommend it. Um, it does exactly what I think a documentary should do, which is take their subject and make it about more than just their subject. Um, and that's really, Obviously, Mr. Rogers is a cool dude, and it's very interesting to see the story about him. But really, what makes Won't You Be My Neighbor as a documentary engaging is um, the fact that it kind of it takes it and expands it. So, Zach, tell us what we're watching next week on the podcast. We're going to be watching Batman The Killing Joke. Came out four years ago. Sounds right. Uh, yeah, it's an animated Batman film. 
Theatrically released, even. Theatrically released. I saw it in theaters. Cool. Well, we will talk about that. Until then, I'll see you. Alright, see you.